church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his, his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Then turning forward to 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter 3, we'll read verses 1 through 7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold, and, uh, of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So far, the reading of God's word. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 128, stanzas 1 through 3. Our scripture text this morning comes from Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 to 19, only two short verses, on which many long books have been written. Colossians 3, verse 18, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. We'll stop there. Brothers in our Lord and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, if you want to get people in our culture upset quickly, this is probably a good way to do it. Start with a verse like this, uh, start speaking about the, the biblical ethic of marriage, particularly that, that S word, submission, that's used in verse 18. 
Uh, it's, it's no secret that the, the Christian view of marriage uh, and, and the complementary roles of husbands and wives are, are routinely despised, ridiculed, condemned, and I would add misunderstood, both outside and even within the church. And yet that's where we are. That's the verses we must work our way through. Uh, we need to remember as we get into this that this is ultimately where Paul wanted to go as well. Uh, these are not just, just ethical leftovers, so to speak. Uh, when we started this, this series on Colossians, uh, the very first sermon that I preached, I gave the, the, the sermon the title, or the, the theme anyway, of real Christian life. Because that's what the book of Colossians is all about. It, it lays the foundations for Christian life, the gospel message we've heard. And then it moves to the outworking of Christian life. And Paul made it clear right in the first verses of chapter 1 that that's where he wanted to go as well. Uh, when, when we know who Christ is and what he's done for us, it is life changing, life transforming. We have a new future, a new hope, a new identity, and therefore a new way of life. As, as the expression that we've used over and over in this series is, we, we now, because we belong to Christ's kingdom, we live kingdom down, not culture up. And that changes everything in our lives, including our marriages. Now this world, this culture, is broken. It is confused about the meaning and the purpose of marriage. And that shouldn't, that shouldn't surprise us. That's, that's part of the premise to the whole book of Colossians, that the kingdom of darkness uh, of humankind in, in opposition and ignorance towards God is filled with hostility and with evil. And so, of course, that will show up in the marriages of this culture as well. Uh, you find unfaithful marriages. You find abusive marriages. You find hostile marriages. And, and in our culture, especially today, you find the abandonment of marriage altogether, replaced with things like cohabitation or, or open marriages. Well, that's the kingdom to which we used to belong, and from which Christ has brought us out to his kingdom of light and truth. And, and so we recognize just as all of our lives will be shaped and transformed by that gospel truth, so also must our marriages be shaped and defined by the values and the priorities of Christ's kingdom. Now the text in front of us has instructions to wives in verse 18 and instructions to husbands in verse 19. Wives, submit to your husbands and husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That's our focus this morning. Uh, but before we get there, I want to lay just a basic foundation, uh, because this is the foundation for, from which Paul is also working. Uh, in order to understand what marriage, uh, what, what Christian marriage looks like, we must first know what it exists for. We need to know what it's for to know what it looks like. As, as with anything, uh, you will only understand why it's built the way it is, if you know what it's built for. Uh, so we want to we ask, what is marriage for in the kingdom of Christ? 
What has God built it for? And then once we've laid that ground, then we can talk about the, the dynamic of, of headship and submission uh, and, and what that means and what it looks like, as well as what it does not mean and what it does not look like. Uh, I should say from the outset, much of the opposition to this view of marriage comes from a distorted understanding of what it is, which usually comes from bad examples that have been experienced or, or witnessed. So we want to start then with the, the biblical view of marriage itself. What does marriage exist for in the kingdom of God? Uh, in God's original design and now also in the kingdom of Christ. And you can answer that uh, on, on two fundamental level. On, on the first and most basic level, we go right back to Genesis, right? And we think when in Genesis 2, when God created uh, man and then God created woman, uh, she was created to be a helpmeet for man. Now, we don't use the word helpmeet often, but it, it's different than helper in that it's, it's meeting a help that is badly needed. Uh, helpmeet is someone who is there to provide help that is needed without which one's task cannot be, be done. Uh, and so marriage at, at its first creational level, at its most basic level, is a friendship. The most powerful and the most intimate of friendships. A unique partnership between two uh, very different but also profoundly complementary Partners, a man and a woman who were made for one another to serve God together. Marriage is a friendship. Uh, that's the vis- vision of marriage that you'll get from Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, that, uh, so, so, so woman was created then to, to be the friend or the helpmeet to, to help man accomplish his calling so that the two of them accomplished that calling together. Uh, and that calling, of course, in, in Genesis is to subdue the earth and to fill it. Uh, but even more, when we think, what is God's calling for humankind? God's calling is ultimately to bring glory and honor to God himself. Isaiah 45, God speaks of all whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed and made. Uh, you think of God's vision for this earth. Uh, for example, in Habakkuk 2 Uh, Verse 14, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's God's purpose uh, for for all of his creation. And so that's ultimately man and woman's purpose as well, to fill the earth with with the knowledge of the glory of God. And so the, the, the most fundamental purpose for marriage is that husband and wife would be joined in this intimate friendship so that they may help one another to know God, to love God, and to live with God for His honor and glory. That's the most fundamental purpose for marriage. Now we also learn from Scripture, and we saw this in Ephesians chapter 5, that God has carefully designed marriage so that it would also be a unique picture of the relationship between God and His people, or in New Testament language, between Christ and His church. Marriage is meant to be a, a parable, a picture. Uh, the, the husband is called to imitate God's love for His church. Uh, and, and the wife is called to picture, to illustrate, the church's glad and joyful response to Christ's love. 
Uh, so, so Paul says that marriage is a profound mystery that refers to Christ and His church. And, and we have to know that that's then what God has designed marriage for. It's intended to serve as that picture. It's not just an accident that, that marriage happens to look like that relationship. That was God's deliberate purpose in making marriage the way He did. Uh, and if we, don't, if we don't get that, then, then we won't understand why God built marriage the way that He did and, and why, it is, why it is good that God made marriage that way. Uh, so we ask questions like, why did God make men and women so different and yet so, so perfectly complementary? It is to illustrate something that is bigger than marriage itself. It's to be a picture of something eternal between God and, and His people. Uh, so this is, this is then our starting point as Christians. As we work through this dynamic of submit to your husbands and, and husbands love your wives, uh, we we want to recognize our marriages are ultimately intended to be a picture of something between God and His people. Uh, our, our marriages are, are a picture or a copy of the original. Uh, they are there to illustrate something about, about the original. Uh, so what does this, this submission look like in Christian marriages? Well, if we take our cue from the original the relationship between Christ and His church, of which marriage is a copy, then we can say that at its heart, submission, uh, the submission to which God calls Christian wives, is, like the church, uh, as the church submits to Christ, it is a glad and joyful response to life-giving, worthy, sacrificial leadership as well as a freeing disposition to affirm, receive, and honor, and nurture that leadership. I'll say that definition again. Uh, Submission is a glad and joyful response to worthy, life-giving, sacrificial leadership, as well as a freeing disposition to affirm, honor, receive, and nurture that leadership. Uh, So so there's there's two elements, uh, two primary elements in that, definition, godly submission is a response to godly leadership that already exists, as well as a freeing disposition to honor, affirm, and nurture that leadership where it may not exist in its fullness or may not exist at all. It is both a response to leadership that's there and an inclination or disposition to, to nurture that leadership where it is not there. Uh, so a, a husband, even a non-Christian husband, will be able to, able to perceive that there is in his wife, a Christian wife, a desire to honor and affirm godly leadership, uh, and a desire that he would be the kind of leader that she could follow. Uh, there's that inclination or disposition to honor godly leadership. Now, godly submission obviously does not mean going along with leadership that is evil. It is not honoring leadership that is evil. Uh, Whenever Scripture speaks of our duty to honor any authority, the, the understanding is always that above every human authority is the authority of, of God. If a husband then wants his wife to join him in sin, the response of a godly 
submissive wife is, I love you, I want to honor your calling as my husband, but in this, I cannot join you or follow you. There's still that disposition to honor and affirm godly leadership, but that will not go against the leadership and authority of Christ. Uh, so godly, uh, godly submission does not mean submitting to evil, but rather desiring and affirming in a woman's husband that true leadership that is godly, worthy, and life-giving. And, and this, these, these dynamics are woven into our very natures. This is what Scripture teaches. And, and of course, this is controversial in our day, in our culture. But we recognize as Christians, God built the world this way. There is and there ought to be in men, for example, a desire to take responsibility, to lead, to provide for, and to protect women and children. That is an inborn desire written on the heart of, of, of every, every boy. And there is and there ought to be in women a, a desire to receive and honor that kind of strength and leadership in godly men. Uh, these are things that God has woven into our very natures. Uh, now, in, in this broken world, in this, in this present culture in particular, uh, much of that created nature has been so badly broken, so badly twisted by sin, that it's, it's often no longer recognizable. Uh, men use their God-given strength written on, on their hearts. They use it, which was intended to be for nurturing and for protecting. They use it to destroy. They use it to take. They use it selfishly. Um, and, and some cultures even celebrate that kind of perverse masculinity, abusive masculinity. Uh, there are other cultures, and ours probably falls uh, more in, in these, these groups, other cultures that respond to that abuse by renouncing masculinity altogether, by refusing to teach boys to be men. Uh, but, but doing so does not lead to a world that is better for women. Refusing to teach boys to be men will not help women, but will create a world that is even worse for women. Uh, it will only produce passive, destructive, selfish men instead of godly, leading, protecting, life-giving men. Uh, so the kind of, of feminism in our day that, that regards masculinity itself to be toxic, we hear the phrase a lot, toxic masculinity, it, it, it does not protect victims. It only creates more of them. It, become, it creates men who are destroyers and takers, who will use that strength that they will have, nonetheless, will use that strength and leadership for selfish purposes. Uh, this, is, this is why, as Christians, then, we have a, a unique opportunity in our culture to, to show the goodness of godly manhood and womanhood. Uh, and, and sadly, that has often been lost even within the church. Uh, we need to recover that, uh, that, that sense of godly manhood and womanhood. Uh, we need to be able to answer our children, for example, if our children ask, ask you, uh, if your boys ask you, uh, what does it mean to be a man uh, and not a woman? Or if your girls ask you, Mom, what does it mean to be a godly woman 
as opposed to a man? We need to be able to answer those questions with wisdom. It's a tragedy that in our culture, those very questions are taboo. Uh, You are not allowed to answer those questions because there are not to be any differences between men and women. Uh, But if we don't teach the answer to those questions, sin will teach the answers instead. If we cannot train our our boys to be men and our, our girls to be women, sin will train them instead. Uh, Godly manhood and womanhood bring life and joy. Sinful distortions of manhood and womanhood bring death and misery. Now, uh, all of that is is, is fundamental to to what Paul is is teaching here. Uh, But we go back then to our our focus on on the instructions of Paul. Uh, Our focus then this morning is on what manhood and womanhood look like in the context of of marriage, which is where, of course, those, those differences between men and women, are, are particularly pronounced. Uh, and and they, they are pronounced in life-giving leadership and in joyful submission. Uh, these foundations are so important to understand because if men would be men, would be godly men, if they would be strong, godly, life-giving men who use their strength and lay down their lives for the well-being and protection and provision for women and children... Then, then the whole concept of, of, of feminine submission would, would cease to be controversial. The reason it's controversial in our day is because men are not being the kind of men that they are first and foremost called to be. And, and so in the experience of, of, of many women in our culture, the idea of submission uh, is, it implies submission to ungodly and selfish leadership which is a very dangerous idea. And, and so many women in the church as well have experienced, have been on the receiving end of that kind of ungodly, selfish leadership. But it's no surprise that submission uh, becomes a toxic uh, concept to many women. Uh, but then... When we think about this from the context of Colossians, where's Paul working from? The foundations we've already laid is that we've been delivered from that old kingdom brought into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ. And so now our marriages are, are, are profoundly changed. They are not these, the, the toxic, selfish, uh, demanding leadership of men, nor the, 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 the resistance uh, that not, the reaction that comes from that from women, but rather our marriages are profoundly changed to be as they were designed to be, the life-giving, sacrificial leadership uh, that imitates Christ laying down his life for the church and the joyful, glad response to that leadership that comes from the church. We realize we are a picture in our marriages of something much greater and something very beautiful and good. Having said that, then, uh, let me clarify by saying several things that submission does not mean, and I'll back these up uh, with Scripture. Number one, submission does not mean agreeing on everything. Submission does not mean agreeing on everything. We know this because uh, there are other passages of Scripture, like 1 Peter 3 that we read together, uh, where, where Christian women are called to have a heart of submission even to their unbelieving husbands. 
Obviously, that does not mean they are to join those husbands in their unbelief. Submission does not mean agreeing on everything. Uh, recognize uh, what, we've, what we've already said, that, that the woman was created to be the helpmeet to the man to enable him to fulfill his calling. So men who think that, that real masculinity involves not listening to your wife, they are not strong men, they are weak men. Uh, husband and wife are each endowed with unique perspectives and insights. God has created the woman, to be the help that man needs. If man does not think he needs her, he is a foolish man. Submission does not mean that, that, that the wife leaves her brain at the door when she, uh, when she is married to her husband. And any husband that expects that is seriously misguided, not to mention seriously putting himself at a disadvantage by refusing the help that God says he needs. Uh, and, and, and most men know this, uh, that, that, that we need help. And most wives also know this of their husbands, that they need help. Uh, women know this very well. Uh, so husbands who want to benefit from their wife's God-given insight and perspective should be seeking it out, should be asking for it, and should not be stifling it or reacting harshly against it. Husbands who don't want to benefit from the input of their wives are stupid men. They're not listening to their wives, and they're not listening to God who says they need their wives. Number two, submission does not mean avoiding the effort to influence or change your husband. Uh, submission does not mean avoiding the effort to influence or change your husband. This is just as obvious from, from the same passage in 1 Peter 3, uh, where wives are called to submit to their unbelieving husbands. Uh, obviously, that does not mean avoiding the effort to influence or change those husbands. In fact, it, it's precisely the opposite. Uh, that's, uh, Peter says, uh, submit to them so that those husbands may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. The very purpose of the submission is to influence and change the husband in that case. Uh, No husband is perfect yet. Submission does not mean uh, letting the man remain the imperfect man that he is. Uh, One of the most important means by which God sanctifies men is through their godly wives. Again, submission is, is, is not just a response to to life-giving leadership that is there, it is also a disposition to nurture and create godly leadership that isn't there. Number three, submission does not mean putting the will of the husband before the will of Christ. This too is uh, hopefully obvious from Scripture, uh, but it it needs to be said because it, it happens so often that men will use this command, submit to your husbands, to compel their wives into joining them in sin or or in refusing to deal with that sin. Uh, When a husband is in sin, uh, particularly if he's a member of the church, there are higher authorities above him to which he must be held accountable. He can be reported to the church. And if there are crimes committed, he ought to be, he must be reported also to the police. Uh, He is not above the law. A husband's word is never absolute over his wife. A wife must never follow her husband into sin. Uh, Evil, cowardly men 
would use this verse uh, and verses like these to put their wives under their, their absolute control. But that is not what this verse is saying. Uh, to put it another way, a husband who demands to be in authority while refusing to be under authority is a hypocrite and a dangerous man. That is not what submission means. Number four, submission is given, not taken. Submission is given, not taken. Uh, Now, this should be said carefully because there certainly can be times when a husband may have to say, honey, I love you, but this is not a direction I can allow the family to go. There are times where that can happen. It can happen the other way around as well, where a wife must say the same to her husband. Uh, given, again, the point made a moment ago that the husband's authority is not absolute. But, but even though there is a, a time and place where that exercise of authority can happen legitimately, submission is, as we saw in the definition, a joyful, freeing disposition on the part of the wife to receive godly leadership and to nurture that godly leadership. This verse is not written to men. It is written to women. It is, it is not written for men to take and compel uh, their husbands to that submission. It is written to women to, to instruct them in the joyful, glad giving of that submission. True submission is heartfelt submission. Uh, in, in, in general, the leadership of the husband should be something carried out on the strength of the respect that he has earned from his wife, not something imposed artificially upon his wife. True submission, then, is is given freely, not taken by force. Number five, submission does not mean that the wife is any less intelligent or competent. Sadly, these things are taught in some places. Uh, Submission does not mean the wife is less intelligent, or competent. The roles that God put in place for, for, for marriage uh, are, are meant to be a reflection of the relationship between Christ and His church. They are not based upon the intelligence or competence of the man or the woman. Now, many wives are more intelligent than their husbands. That is not the issue. Uh, she may be competent in all sorts of areas where you are not. You think of the, 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 pro, the, the wife in Proverbs 31 who is competent in all sorts of areas, working with her hands, making trade, uh, trades, managing real estate, making a profit, serving in the community, helping the needy. All these things the wife is doing in, Psalm, or in Proverbs 31. Headship and submission are not matters of competence or intelligence. Uh, in in For the men, taking spiritual leadership in the home does not mean that the husband needs to be smarter or the better theologian or the better reader. A man can take the initiative to call his family to to family devotions and then ask his wife, who is the better reader, to read the the scripture passage. Uh, There's nothing contradictory about that. It's not about intelligence or competence, it is about the spiritual callings that God gives to men, uh, to, to husbands and wives, to make their marriage a picture 
of the sacrificial love of God for his church and the church's response of love and submission to him. That's what this uh, headship and submission are about. Uh, Number six, submission does not mean that men are superior and women are inferior. Sadly, this too is often taught. Now, most men know this, that that they are not superior, and those that don't know it are the most inferior of of all men. Uh, The roles of headship and submission say nothing about superiority or inferiority. Again, 1 Peter 3, verse 7 Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor, honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you. In the Greek, they are co-heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, your wives are to be honored as co-heirs of the grace of God. And, And this is true back in creation as well. God made man and woman in the image of God. There's no superiority or inferiority implied there. Lastly, submission doesn't mean that the woman doesn't have a a leading role in the home as well. Uh, the, the, The pattern of Scripture is singular headship and plural leadership. In fact, you see this in the very person of God himself. God the Father, uh, there is a single head and there is a plural leadership. Uh, In fact, you see this everywhere uh, throughout creation. You think of most companies. They have a president and a vice president. Singular headship, plural leadership. Husband and wife work together in the leadership of the home. A husband who doesn't know how to work with his wife in making decisions, including oftentimes yielding to her decisions where she is more competent to judge, a husband who doesn't know how to do that is a husband who puts himself at a disadvantage. Again, she is there because God has declared that you need her help. Uh, So we need to be clear about all these things that submission does not mean so that we may rightly understand what it does mean. A glad, joyful response to worthy, life-giving, sacrificial leadership and a freeing disposition to affirm, honor, receive, and nurture that leadership. And it's based upon a desire to make the marriage a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. Let me finish then with a a few words to the men. We still have verse 19 in front of us. Uh, We've spent most of our time so far on verse 18 because this is a a taboo subject in in our culture. Uh, But in Paul's time, the controversial verse probably would have been more verse 19. Uh, In the Greco-Roman culture, the husband's authority over his wife and his family was absolute. He could have them executed if he wanted to do so. Uh, They were his property, and he could do whatever he wanted to them. Uh, This verse, then, would have been a shock. Verse 19 would have been a shock to, to, to the people of Paul's day, because Paul is teaching that in Christ's kingdom, The husband's authority is not absolute. He is a man who is under the authority of Christ. And he has a responsibility to his wife to love her, to cherish her, and to be kind to her. And he can be held accountable for that. That would have been a shocker to that culture. In Christ's kingdom, husbands have no right to be harsh or unkind. 
It is not within their rights. A husband who assumes that that is within his rights is acting in opposition to Christ and must be held accountable to Christ and to the church. So Paul gives two very simple commands to the men. Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Uh, Paul says, when he says, do not be harsh with them, uh, another perfectly legitimate translation is, do not be embittered against them. Some of the older translations say that. Do not be embittered against them. Some of the ways that, that husbands can be harsh with their wives. Number one, being harsh through constant criticism. You know, there are women that wonder, do I ever do anything right? Because the only he ever tells me when I'm doing something wrong. Well, husbands, if the only time you ever speak to her is to tell her when she's doing something wrong, you are being harsh with her. Uh, We we often use the the metaphor of a bank account. Relationships also with children are like a bank account. There are deposits and there are withdrawals. You have to be making deposits or eventually the account will run dry. Uh, What happens so often is that when a couple's dating, they're only ever making deposits. Uh, It's it's constant words of love, which is a beautiful uh, thing. But then when they get married, they stop making deposits and they start making withdrawals and they never stop making withdrawals. Uh, Husbands, loving your wives and not being harsh with them means you need to be deliberate and intentional about making deposits. Tell her that you love her, that you appreciate her. Honor the hard work that she does. Praise her for it. You know, we often talk about the, the, the Proverbs 31 wife, but there's a Proverbs 31 husband as well. In verse 28 of, of Proverbs 31, it says, Her children rise up and call her blessed, and her husband also, and he praises her. There needs to be that praise as well. Uh, no one will have a greater influence on your sense of dignity and self-worth than your spouse. And the same is true for her. This is why a a low opinion, a husband who has a low opinion of his wife can be absolutely destructive towards her. And, And you as a husband must never allow a low opinion of your wife to creep into your thinking. And and, it is never under any circumstances ever true. She is created in the image of God with with, uh, tremendous dignity and worth. Yes, she is also a creature with with the limitations that come with that. And yes, she is also a sinner. And and it is good to have an accurate, healthy perspective of that. But never under any circumstances... Uh, can, can her value be degraded in your mind? You are not permitted to have a low or devaluing opinion of her as a woman, as a person made in the image of God. That must not creep into your thinking, much less into your words. It is absolutely destructive, demonic, and evil. Number two, husbands, may be, or husbands can be harsh with their wives by being emotionally distant. It's amazing that so many husbands think that they, they, they consider it their wife's responsibility to be physically intimate with them on a regular basis, but they don't take nearly as seriously their responsibility to be spiritually and emotionally intimate with their wives. 
Being emotionally present means, for example, putting away the TV remote or the smartphone, uh, as is more often the case in in our day, uh, or the book or whatever it is, and talking with her, spending time being near. Uh, One of the things that that so amazed my wife and I when we came to to the Alora Church uh, was was to witness how many couples here in our midst uh, have a a set-apart time, maybe half an hour or whatever it is, uh, for just hanging out, just just talking to each other. And the kids know that that's mom and dad's time. It's off-limits to them. Uh, And we we were amazed by that. We'd never seen couples doing that, having that that set-apart time. Uh, but, but that's taking the time to be emotionally and spiritually present with each other. Number three, being harsh by treating the marriage like a business contract. Uh, this is often uh, a harshness exercised by men. Some husbands think of their marriage like a business contract where you can get fired if you fail. Um, and that is, that is wrong, it is perverse, and it is evil. Marriage is, again, as we've seen, it is first of all a friendship meant by God to be the most intimate of friendships. And it is also a covenant, reflecting the covenant between God and his people. You've made promises to her, and they are not contingent upon whether she keeps her promises or meets your expectations. You have made an oath to her, and you must keep it. Uh, Number four, men can be harsh by punishing their wives with the silent treatment. Now, both husbands and wives are guilty of this one. Uh, But but here the focus, since we're talking to husbands, the focus is on the husbands. Just as wives can be vindictive uh, by doing this to their husbands, husbands can be vindictive by punishing their wives in this way, uh, punishing them emotionally, being cold or distant, treating her like she's not worth talking to. That is, that is harshness. And it is, it is the mirror opposite of the relationship to, between Christ and his church. Uh, Christ speaks tenderly to his church. Christ is near to his church in spite of his church's failings. Uh, men who are distant from their wives teach heresies, teach lies about Christ uh, through their silence or through their harsh words. At number five, we're almost done. Uh, Men can be harsh by being emotionally abusive. Uh, Emotional abuse is is a topic not often spoken of in in Christian churches, but it should be. Uh, Emotional abuse is saying and doing things to erode a person's self-worth and security. It involves threatening, bullying, uh, financial control, micromanagement of, of, of uh, of a wife's life, that, that constant criticism we spoke of earlier, or intimidation, or shaming, or manipulation. It's, it's showing disregard and disrespect, name-calling, ridiculing, treating her as less than an equal. It's getting, quick, getting quickly angry, or treating her like a child, or showing contempt. Uh, now, the reality is, in, in any marriage, both partners are going to be guilty of this. Uh, this is why uh, marriage, Christian marriage, will only thrive with the cross of Christ at the center, where we may forgive our husbands and wives for our failings. Uh, but as we said, uh, as we've seen every time in, in Colossians, uh, being bought by the blood of Christ also means we have a new future and a new hope and a new identity. And that means the old man must be put 
to death. Uh, He has no place in the kingdom of Christ. Uh, So that imposing of oneself over one's wife, that intimidating her or shutting her down, uh, is part of the old man that must die. Number six, men may be harsh by physically abusing their wives. It's terrible that this happens, but it happens within the church as well. Uh, Women in our church need to know that that is never, ever okay. Uh, It's not acceptable even once. If he hits you, he must be reported to the church as well as to the police. For his sake, for your sake, you you need to get that help. And for the sake of the children as well. Uh, we spoke a few weeks ago about, about forgiveness in, in verse 13. But we should emphasize that forgiveness is one thing. Enabling is quite another. Uh, evil men will tell their wives, you must forgive me. Uh, as if that means you, you may not now deal with my sin. That is not what forgiveness means. If there has been physical abuse, it is a crime and must be dealt with if there is true repentance. And without true repentance, there cannot be true forgiveness. Forgiveness, as we saw a few weeks ago, comes after repentance and does not eliminate the consequences of, of one's sin. Well, all of these are ways that, that husbands can be harsh or cruel to their wives. We must consider, very briefly, the positive. Husbands, love your wives. To put it short, in a short way, God wants you to be, as a husband, a safe place for his daughter. Remember that before she is your wife, she is God's daughter. Do not demand, then, that she carry out her role of submission if you do not, in the first place, carry out your role and your duty to love her. True masculinity, godly masculinity, is governed by love. Men who do not love are weak men, not strong men. Your calling then as a husband is to love your wife as Christ loves the church and as he gave up his life for her. It's what we read in Ephesians 5. Your leadership in the home is to be a constant imitation of Christ's leadership over his church. Uh, You think of what Christ said in, in Mark 10, verse 45, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is your calling as a husband. God's design for men is that they would be strong protectors, providers, and leaders, giving their strength and laying down their lives to create a place where their wives and their children may flourish. And again, if men were doing this, the whole concept of submission would cease to be controversial. Uh, Husbands, your wives would be glad to submit to such a man. And I know that there are, there are men like that in our midst, certainly imperfect, uh, but there are men who do show this, and there are wives in this church too who can attest that they rejoice to be under the leadership of such godly, life-giving men. So what is a kind husband? A kind husband is a husband that knows that he needs his wife, that she's a gift from God that, she, uh, that he needs. A kind husband is a lover. You think of song, song of Songs uh, 5, verse 16, where she says, He is my, my lover and my friend. He is an ardent, devoted, strong lover and friend. A kind husband is a provider. 
He knows his wife's needs and he works to meet them. A kind husband is a protector. And a kind husband is tender. A lack of tenderness uh, shows a lack of masculinity. And finally, a kind husband is a friend and a, and a brother. Uh, the, the, song of, the husband says in, in Song of Songs 5 verse 1, I came to my garden, my sister and my bride. And those are the words of Christ after all, aren't they? A kind and gentle husband is a picture of our Savior who was strong, strong as as any man could ever be, strong as he went to the cross to lay down his life, to purchase a bride for himself, and to give her life. That's the call in these verses. Knowing what Christ has done for us, let us seek to imitate that in our own marriages and lives. Let us help one another in this also as brothers and sisters, And let us look to Christ and consider the beauty and the glory of the most important relationship that all of this is all about and that we have the privilege of picturing in our our own small and humble earthly marriages. Amen. Let's respond by singing of the, the shepherding love of Christ in Psalm 23.